the bad guys are going to keep using tornado.cash. It doesn't stop them from doing it. It just stops us from protecting our privacy. Hey, a quick intro about the guest today, and then we'll get right on into it. Today, I had the luxury of chatting with Patrick Collins, who is the world's leading educator on smart contracts. He's got the world's most popular videos on YouTube, teaching anything from Python, JavaScript, and Solidity, as it relates to Ethereum and EVM blockchains. He's currently employed by Chainlink, and none of the thoughts here expressed today represent Chainlink. They are him personally. Now, Patrick and I have known each other for over two years, where we first worked together on the U.S. election smart contract. That doesn't come up in today's discussion, but it was a pretty interesting collaboration we had where we brought the Associated Press's data directly onto the Ethereum blockchain live as the presidential election was happening. Now, I can do a future episode about that specifically, but today's conversation is about completely separate topics. Today, we start by talking about the recent Tornado Cash sanctions. It has people like Patrick and I, as developers in the space, very worried worried about our freedoms, and worried about our safety. We then completely topic change and discuss smart contract programming languages. We start with Solidity, we talk about Viper, Yule, and even Huff. Now that goes down the stack as lower and lower level languages, but I think anyone could find this valuable. So let's get on into it. Hello and welcome to Dev3, the podcast where I interview developers in Web3. Today, I've got Patrick Collins to you from Chainlink, who is also a popular teacher about Solidity and about Ethereum. How are you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing well. Excited to be here, Dawson. As always, anytime we, we chat, my friend, we have, we have a good chat. So excited to be chatting about whatever we want to chat about. Yeah, we've got a, cu- a couple random ideas here. I'd love that this is just casual off the cuff. You, know, mm. you and I are both plugged into this stuff full time. So I'm sure we have a million mm-hmm. ideas. And I think the biggest news for today that I want to start with, though, Tornado Cash sanctions. Yeah. Oh, so I've oh used Tornado gosh. Cash on a couple of wallets. I won't say which ones. I won't say why I use them, but I did. And <laughs> what does this mean? Am I about to go to jail, Patrick? No, I, I don't think so. I, I didn't. I like took a cursory look to the U.S. Treasury like post about it. Um, and then for everybody who's listening, we're also going to talk about some coding stuff. But like this is like massive, especially for us devs out here. Uh, so I, I think we're going to be fine, but like we can't use it going forward if you're a United States citizen, which crazy sucks, right? Because they're basically saying, hey, you need to put like a, a sign on your lawn saying my house has $50,000 worth of shit in it. Please don't steal it. Like the bad guys are going to keep using tornado.cash. It doesn't stop them from doing it. It just stops us from protecting our privacy. Like I said, I took a cursory look through the the uh, press announcements, and there was nothing in there that convinced me that this was a good idea. To me, it's just like, hey, bad guys, y'all get a free pass. Now you're going to know everybody in the United States' net worths. The first step in a hacker's plan to destroy somebody is pick a target. And the United States just gave them that layup with this sanction. So I'm like, I'm pretty livid about this. Out of all the things to take on, there's so many spam and low quality projects that are that are clearly phishing or clearly stealing right. people's money in Ponzi's, and yet we're looking at the wrong stuff. Yes, bad funds go through tornado, sure, but bad funds go through the internet. We're not shutting down the internet, or, or like the onion router. 
then tore it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, don't, sure. we don't shut down that just because mm-hmm. some bad actors use it. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I just think it's, I think it's the wrong move. Uh, I do think this might be an unpopular opinion. I do think we, we do need regulators to step in. I do think we need people to come in and, and stop these hacks and stop these scams. But I think the negatives here outweigh the benefits. Um, I'm willing to bet that the U.S. is just like, yo, this is rampant. This is crazy. We're seeing so many hacks and they're all using tornado cash, tornado cash. That's the, that's the, you know, that's the medium. That's the, that's the overlap. Let's just cut that. Let's sanction that and we'll be good to go. But guess what? Tornado cash doesn't care if you sanction them. It's a decentralized protocol. It's going to work the exact same way, whether you sanction it or not. Right. It doesn't matter if you, if the, if the United States government said, you know what? We're going to arrest and give a lifetime sentence to the entire Tornado Cash team. Guess what? Tornado Cash would still work the exact same way. Right before we, we even move on to the next thing, one thing that is interesting is they, they finally understand a little bit of DeFi. Like they hit our real tool. That's why this is so sensitive and difficult for oh, us. They did oh, finally figure That's out a little point. bit about Ethereum and, and where the TVL is going through. Yeah. I mean can't say good job but also they did a decent job at this one if they're actually looking to stop something big this is something big it's awesome i I think that's a really good point that that's like the shining light in this the u.s and the governments are getting smarter to crypto and i think that is a wonderful positive spin they're slowly falling down the rabbit hole right like they're getting there (laughs) eventually they'll be buying our nfts it'll be awesome (laughs) you'll be dumping your tokens on them (laughs) (laughs) now the uh the one other thing that makes me a little bit sad about this is i was planning uh so in the past i've done random like scavenger hunt games to like teach developers how to learn and in order for me to do that i need to send money to private wallets that nobody's seen before. Otherwise they can just look through my transaction history and see where all the contracts I deployed are. So now I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I, I I guess I have to just make a brand new wallet and send money from a centralized exchange. But if, you know, if a centralized exchange wants to get in on the fund, they can just know where all my contracts are already. Absolutely. I think we don't know how extensive that network is of how centralized exchanges are reporting directly to uh, chain analysis and the other folks. So it's, it's really disappointing. And, you know, I, I, I pay my taxes, you know, I, I pay my crypto taxes. I'm not trying to do bad things, but I also want to protect my privacy. So it's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. It takes away the tool from those that looking to use it for good. In other words, in other, you know, conversations. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Huff, Viper, Yule, you know, all these different smart contract languages. Um, that was one of the things we wanted to go with. Dawson, you want to go down there? You want to talk about anything? What, what, yeah. what are you feeling? Oh, I think that's an excellent topic. And I, I love a short okay. intro. I'm going to give you the cursory intro, Ooh. and then you pick up because you understand the low-level part of the stack. So, you know, okay. Solidity and Viper are both higher-level languages that we use to write smart contracts. Uh, they both compile the EVM bytecode. They're both used on Ethereum mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism. And that was the standard solution, I'd say, that was the most common yeah in the last few years especially within crypto but we've got these other options that could potentially create more gas optimized code these options are yule huff and a lot of other hipster ones i've heard of but i believe yule and huff are probably the most popular and that is where i want you to then tell us more about those two patrick let's talk about 
gas optimizations and languages and all the nitty gritty fun stuff. Um, for some people, their eyes are going to glaze over. For other people, um, they're going to go, okay, this is really what you need to know when picking a tool. Now, I, I will say that if you're like, hey, like I'm kind of totally lost on this gas optimization thing, like, like at the moment, just pick Solidity, right? Solidity has like 90% of all value in smart contracts. The next eight or 9% is Viper. And then there's kind of like a random hodgepodge trail that, that comes off of that. And Huff is like, is a, is actually not even third or fourth. It's like a very, very small amount. I think third might be like Cairo. Hey, Dawson here, jumping in with a quick fact check. I looked it up and the TVL breakdown is Solidity, Viper, Rust, then Cairo. But Huff is much, much lower, but uh, I'll tell you why Huff is really interesting in a moment. So if you're like, ah, I'm new to this space, just pick Solidity, you will be well, right? You'll do fine. That being said, Viper, Huff, Solidity, are all very different. So let's talk about Viper and Solidity first, right? Because they're the higher level languages and they're, in my mind, what most people should be writing their code in. They do a little bit of abstractions of these EVM opcodes. So as Dawson was saying, all these languages compile down to push and pop off of stacks, right? The EVM is a stack-based environment. So really all you're doing, you're pushing stuff onto a stack, you're pushing stuff into like this memory array to storage, some other places. And if you were to code that and just that, you would be absolutely miserable and your developing time would be like 10 times longer, right? So coding in opcodes really sucks and is like kind of like watching paint dry. Um, so Viper and Solidity are ways to kind of abstract some of that out a little bit. And both of these languages make trade-offs, both syntactically and compiler-wise. So uh, one of the biggest examples is the way that they do checks and the way they do arrays. So in Solidity, you can have something called a dynamic array. And we're going to get a little bit nerdy, y'all, right? But, but stick with me. You can have something called dynamic arrays. You can say, hey, dynamic array... And every time you push element into the array, the length grows. Now, to do that, you need to, A, keep track of the elements in the array, B, how long the array is, how many things are in the array, and C, you need to keep track of free memory that you can store new elements to. Hey, Dawson here, coming in with a quick fact check. I spoke with Patrick afterwards, and it turns out that there are actually four things, not three, that are used to track a dynamic array in Solidity. As Patrick mentioned, there's the elements of the array, the length of the array, and a free memory pointer. Now, the fourth thing, which was forgotten to be mentioned in the rest of this explanation, is that there is also a pointer to the start of the array. In both languages, you cannot call dot .push. Instead, you must specify the index, and that is because bounded arrays do not include a free memory pointer. Back to the episode. Under the hood of Solidity, you're keeping track of like a lot of stuff to do this dynamic array. And at the high level, it just, it makes it a lot easier, right? If I want to push to the array, I do array.push and I push my element. Under the hood, it's going, okay, taking this new element, I got to store it somewhere in memory. And the way I'm going to figure it out is by using this free memory pointer, boom, stick it there. Now I have to increase the length and then return it. Using Solidity, we abstract that all away with array.push, which is really nice. Now, Viper says, oh, that's kind of gas expensive to do all that, right? We have to keep track of way too much stuff. So what Viper does is they do what's called bounded dynamic arrays. 
So when you create a dynamic array, you say, hey, max size of 10. And by doing that, you no longer need this free memory pointer because you just allocate enough memory for 10 slots. And then all you do is you update the length instead of having to update your free memory pointer every time you do a push. And just that little change can make Viper, when working with arrays, a lot more gas efficient. So it's these little things that happen under the hood that make big, big changes when it comes to the implementations of this language. Right quick, before we go to these other solutions, I want to double check, because this is actually some new knowledge to me, which is that uh, the, the comparison I've always heard is that Solidity is just what you should use if you know a come from JavaScript. Viper is something you should consider if you come from Python. That's like the one sentence, which obviously is very undetailed of why you should pick either. Yep. <laughs> but I do want to verify here that you're saying that Viper actually does have slightly more gas optimizations by default than Solidity would. Yes. Uh, so, so spot on. If you're like, what is, what are they talking about right now? If you're totally lost in this conversation, what Dawson said is spot on, right? Solidity is very, it's kind of JavaScripty, the syntax. It's got like brackets, semicolons. Uh, <laughs> it's very JavaScripty, right? Viper is very Pythonic. Right? It uses colons, it uses tabs for, you know, for scoping functions and stuff. Um, at the very high level, that's the big difference. But the compilers are also very different, and they accounts for big changes in gas. Now, I, I want to say, though, you know, Viper has gone for gas optimizations. Why did Solidity choose to be less gas efficient? Well, there's reasons for that, too. Right? In Solidity, you still can have those advantages that Viper has. Just instead, what you would do is you would just declare a fixed length array and push and pop stuff off of the array and then just keep track of the length. And essentially you would have created a bounded dynamic array, same as Viper, but that's a little bit uglier, a little bit more cumbersome. So it's, it's kind of in a weird sense, it's kind of the culture of the teams. Solidity puts a lot of checks into its code, right? So it tries to make it as dummy proof as possible. Viper has a lot of checks as well, but not as much as Solidity. So there are trade-offs and some of them are gas efficiency. Some of them are readability. Some of them are, are security. So there, uh, there's never like, a, hey, this tool is better. I would never say like Viper is better because it's more gas optimized. Maybe you're nervous, you're going to fat finger something. And in Solidity, there's a better chance that you won't fat finger something by accident. Uh, another great example is in Solidity, your constructor has a check built in. Whenever you deploy a contract, the first thing that happens in the transaction is some gas gets used to check whether or not you sent ETH or whatever native blockchain token with that contract deployment. And if you did, it fails. So you spend gas to like make sure you didn't fat finger by sending a whole bunch of ETH that you'll never be able to get out of the contract again. Now you can get around that in Solidity by making your constructors payable. You'll save some gas, but now if you fat finger it and you send you know a thousand ETH with your contract deployment, that's lost forever now. And you have contributed to the burning of ETH by accident. And the technical term for this is a foot gun. Uh, yes, the technical term for that is foot gun. Yes. Solidity catches you for some of these. Viper, you know, exposes you a bit. This isn't even yet the lowest level you can get. And so I'd love to chat about, uh, you know, the recent seaport, smart contracts, and maybe what, what you think is an option for folks who really want to get all the optimization out. So the question is, okay, cool. What do people use? What do people want to use if they're trying to make these things like crazy, crazy optimized? And we saw with Seaport, 
which came out maybe like a month or two ago at this point, where they said, hey, we're going to make a marketplace, but we're going to write it all in uh, this language, Yule. There are scenarios where you'll want to do that. And Yule and Huff are examples to do that. So Huff is another one of these lower level languages where you're basically coding in opcodes. So I've, I've written a whole bunch of uh, dummy examples and I've done some gas optimization comparisons and you can get really gas optimized code with Huff. Like you can save a lot of money. Um, same thing with Yule. I've write, written in pure Yule before. I actually have a GitHub repo, uh, github.com slash Patrick Alpha C slash SC dash language dash comparison, uh, no S. Uh, if you want to see some of my initial tests, it's done with like a simple storage, pure Huff, an example in pure simple storage and Viper and Solidity. You can see kind of the gas costs that are different between them. So if you really want to get good at the EVM, if you really want to become like an auditor, if you really want to understand what's going on underneath the hood, learning something like Huff or Yule is a great way to really understand what's happening. Summary here, I don't recommend you code your smart contracts in this because your, de your developing time will be 10 times longer. Auditability goes down by 10 times. So your costs are just going to explode. But you can learn a ton. They're phenomenal learning experience, uh, experiences, phenomenal learning tools. And if you really, really have to, you will save a ton of gas. How much of the population or how many of the smart contracts out there would you say fit that bill? Because Seaport sounds like one. A lot of people buy NFTs. A lot of folks are using those protocols. Well, it, to me, this is almost like a, a market demand uh, question. This is almost more of a business question to me. Let's get businessy. It's, let's get a little businessy here, right? Let's say you're a liquidity provider and you're trying to figure out where to put your liquidity. And there is a contract. Gas costs for moving your liquidity around is 75% cheaper. The only question that would enter your mind is, okay, what's the reliability of this protocol? And what are the returns? If the returns are equal, and the code is maybe like, uh, like a Uniswap fork written in Huff or Yule or something, it kind of makes sense for you to move your money over there. This is something I was thinking about the other day, like a vampire attack on all popular DeFi protocols where it's just purely written in one of these low level languages could happen because they just make it so much more gas efficient. So that is something to consider. Now, I, I'm willing to bet that this vampire attack would be very, very slow to happen because you would need like an auditor once again to go through all this stuff, which would take them an incredibly long time. Um, because rewriting, you know, Uniswap or Aave or any of the big DeFi protocols and opcode by opcode sounds awful. But maybe that's something that we see in the future. I want to see that in the future. I think that'd be an extremely interesting <laughs> story to play out. Uh, it, it definitely would. Imagine, be. but it's also hard though. It's because, like Uniswap, for example, they just launched V3, right? So maybe you spend all this time, you know optimizing, you know, writing line by line in Huff, like V3, and then V5 came out, like you missed a whole version. And then they came out with like an even better one. So all your optimization is for not. So Patrick, were there any other thoughts you had on these, you know, four languages we discussed besides that? It sounds like the answer for most folks would still be solidity. But would you actually say that Viper is up there still? I'm pretty tight with some of the Viper team members, they're going to kill me. Uh, for most folks, Solidity, you know, there's just so much stuff out there. 
but I love Viper. I love working with Viper. It's a phenomenal language. And there are some really good gas optimizations and the team is awesome. I personally like the syntax better because I love Python. It's, it's really up to you. They are both phenomenal tools and I, and I love the teams. So I'm going to ask a question I think the fans will be asking, which is, so Patrick, when Viper course? Give us one of these 32-hour Viper courses on YouTube anytime <laughs> soon. I feel Maybe. like you've been making jokes on it yourself too on your Twitter for a while. For, well, for folks who don't know, mention the Solidity course you have as well. For those who don't know, if you're looking to learn Solidity, I dropped a 32-hour long free code camp course uh, on YouTube, totally free for everybody. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to toot my own horn here, but it's, it's the most in-depth piece by piece for literally anybody in the space. If you're a beginner, awesome. Like, it'll teach you everything. If you're kind of experienced with smart contracts, uh, you know, perfect. We go into low-level stuff. We go into auditing, upgradability, delegate call, all this advanced stuff towards the end. So it's for anybody. It's for everybody. It's got about 650,000 views right now. So people are watching it. People are learning. The Python one that I made about 10 months ago is at 2.7 million, making it the most watched uh, smart contract educational piece of content on all of YouTube, which I'm very proud about. That's huge. Congrats, Patrick. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm really stoked about it. So yeah, if you're looking to learn Solidity, one of those two uh, videos is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but I will say there are some amazing boot camps out there if you're looking for a little bit more handholding, like Chain Shot is fantastic, Consensus Bootcamp, you know, Dapp University, Morales. There are all these fantastic learning tools out there. But yeah, the ones that I made, I obviously, I obviously love, and and I think they're really good. But um, yeah, so to answer your question, when Viper, I'm taking a, I'm taking a pause. I'm making you know, twenty hour plus long courses. Can't imagine how long <laughs> that takes. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how I feel in the next, you know, six months to a year. Would you say that making that video was a similar endeavor to writing a book as far as the effort and time spent? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Probably harder because I had to, I had to write all the code first and then I had to film me like doing the code. If I was just writing a book, I wouldn't have to film and then I could just kind of like jump to the editing. Uh, I could like write the words because I had to write a script too. I've never written like a coding book. Um, but I would imagine it was harder, but the hardest ever would probably be writing the code, writing a book, and then also filming. So that, that maybe that'll be what I do next. Yeah. When Solidity book. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing with the Solidity book is I think there are some really good, um, Solidity written pieces of content out there, like uh, Solidity by example, the guy who runs that is just, is just awesome. And that's one you should definitely check out if you're looking to learn more Solidity too. Okay. Well, Patrick, I appreciate the time today. I do have a, do you have one last closing question if if you have anything left no man and, and dawson as always i love chatting with you man always always a pleasure absolutely can you uh tell us about your links yes so twitter i'm at patrick alpha c that is patrick a l p h a and then the letter c uh on youtube you can usually find me by like doing patrick collins solidity i got this like big frog <laughs> logo that's me i'm on medium patrick collins TikTok. Not really, but every once in a while I post something when I feel like going on TikTok. I, you know, You're I don't such know a Gen Z TikTok, Zoomer. Right? I didn't I'm know like... about the TikTok part. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like barely post on there. I'm uh, I'm still trying to figure out if TikTok is like good for my mental health or not. I'd almost certainly say that it is not. <laughs> Even though I don't know how you use it, my understanding of it is it's got the most addictive algorithms for funneling you in and keeping you hooked. 
for sure. And then anybody who wants to learn about Oracle's building hybrid smart contracts, definitely check out docs.chain.link. Just some phenomenal resources there for learning how to really update or really upgrade your smart contracts to the next level. Excellent, Patrick. Thanks for jumping on and making uh, making such dense and quick information for everyone to consume. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go out there. Be amazing. Go do good work. And uh, really looking forward to see all the amazing things that people build in the community. Bye, everybody. Hey there. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. If you liked what you heard here, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen on. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that on Monday, when the next episode comes out, you are the first to know.